maybe more information than you needed, but when I think about guests for this podcast, I start looking at rosters and try to figure out, hey, who should we grab from what team? What team haven't we heard from in a while? And so today, it's an original member of the Owen Sound attack. He was an Owen Sound plater and even a Sue Greyhound before that, but when they became the attack, this guy was a member of the team, and if I'm not mistaken, on that team that season led them in scoring. Sean Snyder joins us on the OHL podcast. Great to have you here. Thanks for making the time. Oh, thank you. It's it's my pleasure. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's not something everybody gets to say that they led their team in scoring one year in the Ontario Hockey League, but that was the case for you in Owen Sound. Yeah, it was. It was my, it was my 19-year-old year. Um I, 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 you know, I, I didn't have great numbers my first two years and I just kind of broke out that third 19 year old year. Um, we had a really good offensive team that year. Um, I think we won something like 19 straight at home. Um, not so much on the road, but we were a really good home team in, in that, in that building up in Owen Sound. And yeah, we were, we were, we were the, the we were the attack that year. And it just, just was a year that went really well for me. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun year for sure. Let's talk a little bit more about that building. I get asked all the time, is the ice surface really the same size as all of the other ice surfaces? I say, yes, of course it is. It's just that everything is right on top of you in there. But when that's your home barn, what's that like? Oh, I mean, it was great. Like we, we joked that like when teams come down that hill, they're, they're, they're in trouble. (laughs) Um, We would joke all the time. I don't know what it was. Goalies, goalies would have issues with I don't know if it was the lighting or what 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 it was but we knew you know on a Saturday night we had a good chance to win in that building teams just for whatever reason didn't play well up there so it was certainly an advantage for us I remember quite some time ago it was I'm pretty sure it was the mid-80s Sioux team that went undefeated at home and and my former broadcast partner Don Cameron told the story of Terry Crisp, who was the coach at the time, was always just talking to those Sioux players saying, hey, they're not Northerners like us. They're coming up here to play the Northern team. And I get the sense that you almost had that like like same advantage, if you will, as a member of the Owen Sound attack or when you even the Platers, because you're the smallest market in the league. Every game is almost like David versus Goliath, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think that maybe the other thing, too, is where, you know, you're kind of off the 401. It's, you know, if you're playing games in November, December, January, it's it's dark before you even get to the rank. You're coming up Highway 6. I, I don't know. I just think, you know, I think it was a tough place to play. And, you know, we, we enjoyed it because we, we took advantage. So as a player, was it like, were you completely oblivious other than the different, you know, symbol on the jersey, but to what was going on behind the scenes as you became the attack from being the Platers was any of that politics, any of the efforts to save the franchise. Did that register with you at the time? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. We were, we were fully apprised of what was going on. Um, we thought we were going to Cornwall for a second. My, uh, my line mate, Kyle McAllister was from Cornwall. So he obviously had a, a vested in, interest to see where we were going to go. We thought we were going to Cornwall and then this group, I think, you know, there was a group put together at the last minute and there was a drive and everything that kind of saved the team. So, no, we were uh, we were we were aware of everything. And um, the year before, we weren't weren't a very good team at all. I think we believe we missed the playoffs. So 
it was on our mind. It was, it was kind of a mess that end of that year. It was, it was on everyone's mind, but we, we definitely knew we knew. So it was kind of like a fresh slate then become the attack and everything's all, uh, you know, shiny and new again. Yeah, it was, it was, um, exactly new, new jerseys, new ownership group. There was a bunch of them up there and, uh, yeah, it was fresh start, new energy. So we, we kind of fed off that and we had a pretty good year that, that 19 year old year. You talked about those Saturday nights in Owen Sound, which is the traditional home date to this day. I don't suspect it'll ever change, but what was it like playing in that community? Again, as an outsider, I just look at it and think, man, they love their attack hockey or their OHL hockey in Owen Sound. It's the only game in town and they love to fill that barn. They really do. And, and, you know, you get, you get fans from Port Elgin, uh, Southampton throughout the country, Durham, so it's a, it's a really cool group of people that come in every Saturday and yeah, like in the community, we were, you know, we couldn't, couldn't really go anywhere without pe- people knew exactly who we wa- were all the time. And, you know, we were, you know, we would have police officers that would help us out restaurants that we'd go to all the time. So it was, it was a fun place to play. Um, and you're not too far. Like I'm from Fergus. So it's just up highway six hour and 40 or whatever it is. So family would come up and it was, it was a fun place to play. I, Honestly, I I haven't heard many people say, you know, you, you know, other players I know in different eras, even today, I, I think most guys go up there and they have a great time. I was thinking about that proximity to home for you under two hours as a Fergus guy when you're in Owen Sound. Did that make it easier when you were traded from the Sioux to the attack? I always think about this for teenage hockey players, Snides, and, you know, when you're being told by one team that you're being shipped to another, it's got to be a little bit unsettling. Yeah. You know what? My first game was in Guelph at the old Memorial. Um, I think they were, they still there there. Yeah. I believe it would have been the last year at that old barn in Guelph. So my first game with Owen sound was there, I believe. And then I played there and then, yeah, up the, up highway six, I probably, you know, had a day to just kind of, um, you know, get my stuff together and hang out with the family for at least a couple hours and then head up there. And it was a new beginning. So, um, yeah, I, certainly I think, yeah, with the proximity, it made it easier for sure. What was it like? I always wonder for a kid coming into the Ontario hockey league and it's the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds that are the team that drafts you as far North as you can go in this league. What's the thought that goes through your mind? You know what? I, you're just happy to be drafted, obviously. Um, Again, you know, I'm aging myself here, but we still had the in-person draft, so it was in Barrie. Um, the, the Greyhounds had, like, a whole contingent come down, like, their whole front office, like, admin people, everything. So they had a box there. Like, they treated us so well on draft day. So, um, yeah, just excited. Um, yeah, I, I originally was I – I thought I was going in the fourth to Belleville, because I knew their scout pretty well. I think they ended up taking Michael Renzi, who I ended up getting to know a little bit later. Um, really good pick, good player. Um, so from the fourth to the fifth, you're a little bit on edge because um, you thought you were going somewhere. Now, when am I going to go, et cetera, et cetera. But, so other than that one round, it was great, enjoyable day. And then you, you go to the Sioux and, yeah, you uh, you just roll with it, right? It's far away, but that's, that's how it goes. And, uh, yeah. The rest is history, I guess. But um, my time in the Sioux was great, too. So no complaints there. What was it like playing for Dave Cameron up there? 
Dave was, you know, I've, I've been lucky, you know, we'll probably get into some other coaches, but I've been very lucky to have like a lot of good coaches throughout my career. But Dave was, was one of the best. He, he was great for a young guy, rookie to go up there. Um, you know, I haven't seen him or talked to him for a long time, but um, he was perfect coach for a rookie, rookie player in the league. Yeah. I mean, he got fired. I don't know if it was fired or his contract was up at the end of that rookie year. Like if he stays, I, I probably stay in the Sioux, you know, a lot longer than I did, but he was gone and then some things changed. So that's, that's the way the hockey world works. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot of coaching to talk about in this conversation today. We will get to lots of it, but you know, you made me think kind of about the business side of this game, Sean, when you talked about thinking that you might go to Belleville in the fourth round, cause you knew the scout up there pretty well, end up going to the Sioux, in the fifth round, but as a 15 year old hockey player in this province with anybody that's got any chance at making it to the next level, obviously, you know, how closely you're being watched, don't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, at my draft year, I was playing Orangeville junior B. So small, you know, the small junior B arenas. Um, we were a Wednesday home night. Uh, Daryl Bootland, I played with who was a first rounder. So I don't think there were many junior games on Wednesdays. Like we would have, the place would be packed. There's, there's no, really not any other junior games. So yeah, we were fully aware of um, how many scouts were there. And, and, and we, we, we know, right. Like for instance, you know, it's funny. I went to the Sioux that, and I forget his name, but the old, he was a really old Sioux scout. He used to watch warm up. Like he'd be at every warm up on our Wednesday games and and you knew you could see him. He's, he's right there. So we're, we're fully aware. And, uh, but it was fun. We had, we had a young team in Orangeville as well and they, they let the kids play and we just had a great time. And, you know, lots of scouts would come out on that Wednesday night. You, you talked about how the Sioux, and we talked about this on a recent episode of the podcast, the way the organization is run kind of top to bottom. They had a little blip when Phil Esposito owned the team, which was before you got there and other than that, this is a, an organization that just seems to do all of the things in the right way. What was it like playing up there? Again, it was, you know, it's it's a long way away, but great fan support, really, really good billet, um, you, like billet units, like lots of great billets. Um, you know, the team's close because there's, you know, there's everybody's so far, nobody's going home for three or four hours on a Sunday, you know, pretty close-knit group um it was great you know it's friday night up there is their home night you know they packed the place it was it was the number one show in town so it was really fun place to play how'd you feel about the travel back then you know it was that is one thing it was a lot um we'd get home on you know i don't know where we'd come from maybe windsor or something on a sunday or I guess we'd maybe go Windsor Thursday. Maybe we were coming from Kitchener on a, or wherever we're coming from. We'd get home at five 30, had to be in school for like eight 30. Um, yeah. Sleeping on the floor, obviously it was, and then you get home and it's like super cold out. It That was tough. The travel was intense, certainly a competitive disadvantage compared to other teams for sure. But you just kind of, you, you deal with it. Right. So builds character, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Builds character. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, like it'd be good though. Like everybody had their, so I, I would get cookies from my grandma 
someone else would get like lasagna. We'd be, you know, so we'd have great food on the way back because everybody's family took care of them. But um, we shared everything. So, but it was fun. So from the Sioux to Owen Sound, and there was one more trade in there for you as well. Your final year off to Sudbury. What precipitated that move? I'm not sure, to be honest with you. We had a ton of OAs. Um, I guess they had to make a decision, but I think that team kind of blew up uh, after. I, I joke, another – so Dan Halliburton was the GM at the time. He he coached me in, like, minor hockey, summer hockey. So so I joke with him because um, he traded me. I joke with him. I, don't, I haven't seen him in years, but the odd time I did see him after, I joke with him and I said – because – when we were traded, I think we were in a playoff spot and they ended up missing the playoffs and Sudbury was out of a playoff spot. We ended up the sixth seed. So I always bugged Dan that it was a terrible trade, but um, I went up there with Josh, Josh leg, right shot D man. I don't know if you remember him, but um, so, yeah, I think it was just a lot of OAs and I guess they had to make decisions. So um, I remember that trade too. Bert Templeton was the coach and GM and he skipped, he skipped the game to coach and he was at our game and I got pulled into the office after and Bert was there and they said, you're traded. So it's not like I could say no. And when Bert's in the room, there, there wasn't a, there wasn't a negotiation. So, um, and then I, then I had to play St. Mike's the next night at two. So me and lag game over. I think I had a couple points, go pack your bags, say, say bye to the guys me and Lager drove to Fergus, spent the night in Fergus, played at St. Mike's the next next day at two. So not much time to, to think about it. You're just you're just going. You mentioned another one of those names that we'd have to get into because Bert Templeton is the stuff of legend in the Ontario Hockey League. What was it like playing for him up in Sudbury? Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. Like for me, like in terms of like teaching you fundamentals and like a lot of ins and outs of how to be a good hockey player. Like he, he was like phenomenal. Like some of the just fundamental skills that like a lot of people might forget about. He, he was great. Um, he was like super intense, really, really, really hard on guys, um, hard on rookie guys, especially. Um, but he was okay with, 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 with me and Lager. And as long as we played hard, um, but uh, he was intense. There's no doubt about it. You got from Western Conference to Eastern Conference with the three teams over a, a junior career is is relatively well traveled. Did you have a favorite place to play on the road? Um, I love the odd in Kitchener. I, I scored my first junior B goal there against the Dutchman. Scored my first OHL goal against the Rangers. Um, I always just love the rink. I still think it's the best rink in the league. So that's probably number one. Um, other than that, I'm not sure. I'd have to say that that would definitely stand out. First OHL goal. You're always going to remember that for sure. Yeah, exactly. How did it go in bar down snipe off your ass? <laughs> which was it? <laughs> I don't know. It was a shot from the slot, like kind of a broken play. I think shot from the slot. I don't know if it was bar down, but it was in. So we'll, we'll take it. Absolutely. That's all that matters. Family. Cause obviously Fergus Kitchener is close. So it was uh, it was great. Yeah, I guess that would have been that and and Guelph before they were gone it was about the closest you could get for a home game, right? Yeah, Guelph would have been like my team, like growing up as a young minor hockey player, like watching 
in that era would have been like Jeff O'Neill, Todd Bertuzzi. They, they had a re really good team. So that's where I kind of like said, you know what, I want to play in this, this league one day. And that's kind of where the dream started. So that would have been my, the team I followed the most as a kid. Corey Pecker's name kept coming up on, if I call it your resume, when I look at players you played with, he was there in the Sioux. He even was with you in the coast with the Phoenix Roadrunners. Remember anything about him? Yeah, like um, good guy, like treated me really well. Um, yeah, we were road roommates for a bit in Phoenix. Um, yeah, just a, you know, really good talent, obviously. Um, really good shot, right shot guy, like just nose for the net. Um, yeah, so I spent a bit of time with him. Um, good player. Another stop for you was the Flint Generals, and that, much like we talk about Burt Templeton in the Ontario Hockey League, the Flint Generals, just as an organization, uh, kind of the stuff of legend in hockey. What was it like playing in Hockey Mad Flint? it's applicable now because Flint's in, in, in the OHL. Like I tell anyone that wants to listen, like, you know, obviously people hear about Flint and obviously the water crisis was not good and documentaries. And we all know about that side of it, but you know, we, we lived in, in Grand, Grand Blanc and it's, it's a nice area. Like it's, I had nothing but good things to say about it. I know I wasn't there in the summer, but there's a PGA event there or there used to be, um, it's a pretty good place to play. Like I, I like that rink. It's a good old school rink and uh, I enjoyed it. What led you over to Europe? Uh, just, you know, just kind of ran its course in North America. It's, it's a grinds. Like I, like my first year in the coast in Phoenix was amazing. Like um, our owner was Claude Lemieux. So he, um, he didn't really know what the coast was about. So he treated us like, we were in the NHL. So we didn't touch our gear. You know, we showed up to the practice facility, our gear. Like it was like we were in the NHL. Like flew we flew everywhere because we were on the West Coast. We'd fly in, the bus would drop us off at, at our apartments, and then they'd take the trainers to the to the rink. So we did it was literally like we got the 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 A class treatment. So that was fun. And then I played in 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 Flint the next year. Um and then I just got an opportunity. I can't remember how it came about, but I, I went to Sweden, um, loved it there, had an amazing year. You know, I kind of fit my game, like big ice. I could skate, you know, playmaking. It was it was good, a little bit less games. It was a great year in Sweden. And then I came back for another kick at the can in the coast in Reading. And then it was an okay year, but not great. So So after that, it just kind of gets to the point where you're like, you know, I can make way more money in Europe. I get to travel, lighter schedule. Um, why not? So, and then once you get there, the, the culture is amazing. And, you know, you get the, you, the national team breaks in November and February. So those are two weekends. You can, you know, the, ch the cheap flights in Europe, you go to Prague, you go to Berlin, you go wherever you want to go. So really cool experience. And, you know, you, you, you know, you're not going to make the NHL in North America. So why not, you know, have a great life experience and um it was great europe was europe was awesome 
Is that where the travel bug really bit or did you already have it in you? Yeah, probably probably a good way to put it. Yeah, that's probably where it bit. Yeah, I mean, because with hockey, you're not traveling a ton. You don't really have a chance, but um, that definitely, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. How would you compare the hockey? I mean, you mentioned the bigger ice surface. You know, obviously, it's a lighter schedule. We always talk about the skill over the physicality. What do you think of the differences in the game, Europe versus North America? Yeah, I mean, it's I'll put it this way. And, and I'll get into Sweden in a second. Sweden has its own, like, they have their own style compared. Like, Germany's Germany's more like North America. Um, Sweden, and even Finland's got the hybrid ice, so it's not as big of ice. Sweden, I found for sure, was the biggest difference. Um, like, they would, some old school coaches, like, if you were a centerman, you literally never went below the top of the circles. So you're basically like a third defenseman. So for North American centers, it's like super adjustment. But I, I would just say in Europe, your whole team is skilled. Like I remember the first day I got there, I was, you know, we had a normal practice and like you're like seventh and eighth defensemen that aren't even in the lineup or like beyond skilled. Now they have their deficiencies when the puck drops and that's why they bring over North Americans because we – we go to the net more and, you know, it's just in our, in our DNA to be a little bit more competitive and things like that. But when you look just on a skill level, like top to bottom, their eighth D has incredible amount of skill where we in North America, and I know it's changing a little, but you know, you'd see how our first and second line that gradually you got some grinders and stuff. They don't have that. So it's just skill, skill, skill. Did you have a, a favorite place? over there that you ended up either staying in and playing in or playing on the road or anything like that? Uh, I would say that hockey wise, everywhere in Sweden was awesome. Um, it, it was great. Like they, they love hockey just like Canada in terms of like living and culture and stuff. I played one year in the German Alps. Um, it was amazing. That's like, unreal. Yeah. It was like, our rink was like half outdoors and they packed it like 4,000 people. Um, it was super cool. I know a lot. Well, I want to talk a little bit more before we get to the championship that you, you were able to win. And I skipped that over on purpose. Cause I'm sure that still remains a highlight, even though it wasn't in pro, but you got back to North America and, and you still couldn't give it up. Like men's senior Dundas, real McCoy's you were still grinding away at, like up to just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I wouldn't call it grinding. That was super fun. Um, Mike Mole, a good buddy from Santa Vax was a goalie there. So, and I knew a few other guys. So um, yeah, they invited me out. I went out and it's like, it was fun. Like I met some more great guys there and just try to keep the competitive buzz, buzz going. And um, I, I, the year they won the Allen cup, I, I had gone back to Europe, so I wasn't on that team. But we, we won a couple league titles and went to one Allen Cup in Newfoundland, which was super fun with the guys. So tons of former OHLers, and it was good. It was I enjoyed it. Well, it's funny. You talk about using that or having that to keep the competitive juices flowing. Why? Because coaching just didn't quite do it for you? No, coaching, coaching definitely, I love it. It does it for me. But I don't know. You're still in good shape at that time. Um, I think I would have started when I was 34 or five. So you're, you technically could still play for sure. It's just, 
doesn't make sense kind of anymore from different perspectives, but physically you're still ready to play and the guys are funny and you still miss the room and everything. And it was, it was just something extra to eh, try to stay in a bit of shape and play hockey. It was, it was fun. I get the sense that that's as much what this game is about as it is about the actual, you know, competitiveness, winning championships, getting to the highest level you can. And that's the relationships you make and, and really the fun that you get to have along the way. It beats working yeah. for a living, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly <laughs> does. It certainly does. So yeah, just the relationships and even like feeling a score and a goal or that, that feeling you get like the five seconds before the puck drops. It's you, you really can't replace that in life. I mean, you can try, but it's, it's, it's pretty unique feelings for sure. Okay, so you mentioned Mike Mole and St. FX, and that's where you were after the O, before going pro, winning a CIS National Men's Hockey Championship with St. FX. Take me through that season, what it was like for you. Yeah, so the, the season before, we lost we lost in the a- AUS final in Game 5. It might have been overtime. Then we lost in the national championship tournament. Our goalie broke his finger. Um, we lost, I think, Q2TR in the finals. So we were right there, right there. So we come back the next year. Um, we had a re- like a really good team. I-, I think we went down to the U.S. schools, five trips down there and swept them, like University of New Hampshire, Vermont, like good schools and swept them out in the five games. Um, so we knew we, we had a really good team. We had a few guys back from pro Mike Martone, um, Todd Norman. So guys like three years with three years pro experience. We mentioned, uh, Molsey, uh, you know, I obviously got to mention Troy Smith or he'll uh, never let it down. So he was there. <laughs> I know you're good. I know you're good buddies with them. So he was there. I mean, there's lots of guys there. Our captain was Patrick Graham Matra, uh, a guy from Quebec who was just unreal captain um, played, played so hard and was such a great leader. So um, we had guys from, you know, Alberta, the Q, we had a really good group of guys and uh, yeah, had a great season, won the AUS and then won the national championship against uh, the university of New Brunswick, kind of our arch rival. So it was a really good experience. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Smitty. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Troy over the years. And as I said at the beginning of this, I'm just looking through rosters. I haven't had anybody from the attack in a while. Let's look at their first year of existence. Boom, Sean Snyder's name pops up. I do a little bit of looking. Oh, played with Smitty. So he's the reason that we're connected and doing this today. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, no, he, he had mentioned it. So it's uh, I'm glad he uh, he connected us. Well, that's one of the other places I wanted to talk about a coach too, a fellow by the name of Danny Flynn coached you at St. FX. Yeah. See, that's what I mean. Like we could go down lists. We like another unbelievable coach. Um, X is an old guy, like to a T, like that was his, his, his thing. He, he knew the game so well and, you know, we, nobody was going to beat us because of preparation or, or systems. Um, so he was, you know, I still still use lots of things today that that I took from him for sure. So we were we're lucky to have him. I wondered about that part because of some of the guys that you've had the opportunity to learn from, and I'm sure there are more that I either haven't come across yet, or I wouldn't perhaps have known, but they made an impact on you. And you, of course, are coaching 
to this day uh, with Georgetown right now. But do you take elements from the guys that coached you and bring them into your own coaching? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, systems. I know the game's obviously evolved, so you're obviously evolving with systems and things like that. But, you know, some of the core principles and, and things like that you, you would take from, you know, the coaches you, you've had. Um, just the way they, they, they interact with players as well. So yeah, you take bits and pieces of, of everyone really. So, um, you know, I started with Dave Cameron, um, Bert Templeton for a bit in there. Danny Flynn was good. Um, one guy would be good to mention is Mark Reeds. Um, of course. Yeah. Yeah. He's passed away. Honestly, he, he, he would be up there as maybe one of the best, like, and I know if you talk to players around, they'll, they'll tell you the same. He was, he was pretty quirky and like, you know, a little bit sarcastic, but wow, was he, was he a good coach? So um, that's another one for sure. You had him in the coast, right? Uh, or was that? It, it, that was in Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, right. Before, okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right. Before yeah. So, um, and actually I believe another late, he just passed away, Ray McAlvey. He had called me for a reference on him before he was going to go there. And I said, well, you better hire this guy. Like, ASAP so it's all it's all all connected right so it's so funny because when I saw Reed's name that's exactly what I thought of obviously a different time but with the same organization because I I remember him from coaching the Owen Sound Attack of course yeah exactly, exactly. yeah he was, uh, he was very good and then I guess most recently um Colin Chalk who's another OHL guy Kingston played in Kingston uh, he was with the Raps organization very quickly before he went back to the American League. So I would say a lot of my recent kind of mentoring would be from him. So um, it's it's been a great list of coaches to learn from, for sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, Mississauga Reps organization because you were coaching the team, which was the 02 birth year, and Correct. there were 13 13 players from that team snipes that got yeah. drafted into the Ontario hockey league. People would probably remember or be familiar with names like Matt Pappas and Tristan Lennox and, and some others. And there was also a kid on that team by the name of Owen power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was, uh, Michael Renwick too is a D like we yep. could go to lots of guys that the OHL fans would be familiar with. Um, so Owen, Owen Power didn't come to the league, obviously, but um, yeah, pleasure to coach, obviously a talent, um, just obviously his size stands out, but the way he thinks the game, he, he thought it pretty much that good back then. He, he saw the game so well and, uh, you know, he was our captain and uh, just great player and obviously a pleasure to coach. Yeah, I don't want to overlook other players, obviously, but it must feel kind of special to know that you had at least some hand or just got to watch what this kid could do in Mississauga as you coached him before a few years later, he's going first overall into the national hockey league. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like I said, it's a, it was a total pleasure for us. Um, we're super proud of kind of, obviously a lot, all, all of it's on him, the way his work ethic was, but yeah, to think we had a little bit of part of, you know, refining his game a little bit and, and you know, you know, helping him kind of become a better leader and things like that. So, uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's certainly an honor to have coached him, and we're happy to watch him succeed in the NHL. When you watch these guys, Sean, go from 
your organization, like the reps, into the O or elsewhere? How much do you keep in touch with them or just do you keep your eyes on them to see how they're doing up there? Yeah, you know what? I'll stay in touch a little bit. Yeah, I stay in touch with Owen and, you know, the odd text message with some of the other guys. Um, Charlie Callahan, who's in Mississauga, and Renwick now and again. But And, and I'll, I'll stay in touch with their parents as well. Um, not a whole lot. Everyone's busy, but we're certainly still connected that way. And if, if we see them at the rink in the summer, uh, we chat. So it's uh, you, you keep some connections for sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, 2022 Ellis Cup. Uh, you're out west, and it's a semifinal game where you have to come back in the third, tie it late, only to unfortunately uh, fall in overtime against the ultimate champions. But can you take me through that experience? Yeah, no, that was that was um, that was an, another fun year. Like we um, start to finish, I think we we were first all year. Like we didn't move positions. Um, COVID obviously played a, a little bit of a role there in January. We were shut down. So playoffs were like a one game final or something. We lost in overtime there, but we were able to win the, uh, we against the Nats, but then we were able to beat the Nats in the o- OHF final to get to Tellus Cup. So amazing experience for the kids to get out there. Um, it was in Okotoks, but we stayed in Calgary. Um, so it was first class, like ran really well. Um, guys played well, you know, we, we lost in overtime to Moncton in the preliminary rounds. They scored a late one and then got one in overtime and we were right with them. And then in the semis, they got up, but we we came back and scored with the net empty. And then they kind of got one off a super weird play and that's, that's hockey. Right. So, but amazing experience for the guys and, really good team we had a bunch of kids that kind of were undrafted because of the covid year and had like super good years and excellent team you know good leadership so it was it was fun it was a great year what's it like as a coach behind the bench when you get that goal with the net empty to tie it up in the third period i'm sure part of it's got to be okay like you'll have your celebration like the rest of the team but then keeping the guys focused. There was still over a minute to play in regulation. You got to make sure they stay dialed in to not, you know, give up that momentum before the regulation time runs out. Yeah. You said it perfectly, right? It's like shift after goals or, or sorry. Yeah. Shifts after goals are like so important in hockey games, the way hockey games flow. So Moncton was like a quick strike team. They scored everything off the rush. So yeah, we're more concerned. We got to get, we got to get, you know, we got to get this to overtime or at least be aware. I think they kept their top guy on. So um, yeah, you're just trying to grab the guys and make sure they get their bumps off, off that face off. Um, you know, don't, don't lose an assignment off the face off and, you know, just, just try to play good, good solid hockey that minute left. Cause if, if you're not focused, teams can score and next thing you know, you're, you're, you're out, but yeah, you, you know, that's your job as a coach to try to keep everyone prepared for the next five seconds really. You mentioned a, a moment ago about the way the game has evolved and, and obviously how much it's changed. And I, I think we generally agree, you know, as, as people that have been around the game, that we like where it's at, you know, with the emphasis on skill over physicality. But as a guy that played it just on the kind of the cusp of that you know, much rougher game, how do you feel about it today?
I haven't overthought it. Like, it is what it is, right? It's the new game, right? Um, yeah, like, there's no one, like, the intimidation's gone. Like, we, we would have to try to, as an offensive guy, you know, you got to try to put up points while knowing someone could take your head off at any moment. Um, that part of it's gone, really. I mean, there might be, might, maybe at the NHL level, it's still there, but certainly junior, certainly that element's gone. But there's so much skill now that there's there's different, you know, there's different things that you got to worry about, right? So, you, you know, you got to be able to skate. You got to be able to play with pace. And um, so that 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 makes it tough, right? If, if you can't play with pace and, and play with skill, you're going to have a tough time in the league. So. So it's just, I think it's just different, but yeah, you look, you look back and, you know, the game was in ways a little bit more interesting and exciting probably, but in other ways it's, it's different now. There's some highly, highly skilled kids and um, you, uh, you see some of the things they do and it's, it's pretty impressive, but you know, the one thing I, I and I talk to coaches all the time, it's, it's different. Like when, when I were, when we were to go into the OHL, you knew how to play hockey. Like you, you thought the game, you, we had to like our skill level had to catch up. Right. And, and you're on the ice every day and you're playing with older guys, your skill level had to catch up. Now I find their skill levels outrageous at major band and minor midget, but everybody does private lessons and everyone, no one knows how to play hockey. So now you got to teach them how to play or how to think it. So I, that's the biggest difference I find is skill level off the charts. Haven't really played, haven't been on the pond, haven't played three on three. They're more worried about, you know, going to a skill instructor and working on their toe drag. So when they're in those like little small area decision-making, I find you gotta, you gotta teach them more. And the guys that, that, that already know that and can think it, they have such an advantage in today's game, in my opinion. That's the hockey IQ we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas it, in the past, you just naturally get it because you're playing, you're, you're in two on one situations. And again, I, I may be generalizing here because it's, it's, it's not everybody, but I find more skill level, less, less thinking is, is what I see at the level I coach. You know, it, it reminds me, it takes me back to a quite a while ago on this podcast, but a coach that we were talking to, and, and it sounds like maybe we almost have too much structure in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that sometimes some coaches, I think. Um, Yeah. We could argue that. I I, I don't know if I find that, but yeah, there's a point. I think some coaches can potentially go overboard, but um, again, to my point, if you don't have some structure, you know, it's it's, a lot of times I look at my assistant coach. I'm like, I can't believe I have to, why do we have to tell them that? But you literally got, they, they need so much information and, you know, you can't assume that they, that they'll just make that play that you think is obvious, but so you got to teach a lot and, you know, try to get them in situations where they can utilize that high skill level for sure. How much different are the kids today that you see come through your program in terms of their conditioning or fitness levels to you when you were in the OHL? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think, I thought we, you know, it's obviously, I I think probably obviously better. Um, I thought we worked pretty hard and we were, we were conditioned though in my era. 
Um, I would say probably a lot more guys have personal trainers, whereas we would get programs from the team and follow them. But I think guys will go and actually have a guy with them or a small area group, whereas we would sometimes do it on our own. Not everybody, but some guys. So I think maybe they're probably a little bit in better condition just because, you know, they have almost like one, not one-on-one, but close to one-on-one help in the summer. So um, obviously it's going to make them uh, in better shape. And then obviously the game's quicker and the pace is higher. So you you obviously got to be in better shape to keep up. What led you to Georgetown? So Georgetown Raiders. uh, So we had so much success um, last year, obviously. Um, They had made a coaching change in, I guess it was April. Um, So I've known, the president is Aaron Nagy. Um, I've known him since, since I was like 16. He used to be the CCM rep for the OHL. And then he became an agent. And uh, so now he's he switched businesses, but he's the president of Georgetown. So he reached out in April, said there might be a spot. At that time, I think something fell through or maybe they're going to go a different direction. But um, then they, we re-engaged in some talks um, in May, I guess. And I started talking to the general manager, uh, Mike Dukeshire, who's also a uh, – he's a Barry scout, so he scouts for – for the Barry Colts. So we, uh, we started communication and, you know, we hit it off right away. Um, it's, it's been a great relationship working with him. We work really closely together on, on obviously everything with the hockey club. So yeah, we connected right away and then, uh, yeah, they decided to hire me. What keeps you like, what keeps the fire in the belly for you tonight? I don't know. It's just obviously a love of the game. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you're, I would say you're inside the glass as a coach. So you're the closest to being a player, you know, your, your decisions and your game management and things like that. You know, you can, you can point to some decisions that have a direct result on every game and, you know, you're, you're helping kids and helping them to try to get better. So you're, you're, you're kind of close to being a player. So yeah, it's just love of the game. And it's, it's, it's been fun. I, I think I've, it's, it's come, you know, it's, I think I'm a good coach. It's, I've had a lot of success so far, so it's been enjoyable that, that, uh, that way there's been a lot of winning. So it's, it's always fun going to the rink and trying to get better. Well, that's what I keep hearing too. You know, that's nice guy. He's not a bad coach. It's not a bad coach. It's out there. It's around the rink. Uh, yeah, yeah. It depends who you talk to, I guess, but, um, everybody's got their flaws, but it's, 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 it's been good. The year, like the years with the O2 team, you know, we, we just kept getting better and, and then had a really good minor midget year. And then um, the midget teams, we just kept getting better. And then it's been a good year in, in Georgetown. So, so far, so good. You know, I can't help but think we just had a guy on the podcast recently that I thought was a shining example of making good use of your education package out of the O. He went to uh, university at Waterloo and ends up becoming a doctor, you go down east to St. FX, and you got, I think it was a Bachelor of Political Science there, Bachelor of Arts with Poli Sci, and then you've passed the bar. And I'm thinking that there are uh, other guys, I'm pretty sure Paul Maurice, I know Pete DeBoer for sure, uh, had law backgrounds. And I mean, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'm not trying to predict your future, but what do you think? 
Yeah, no, I, it's an, I guess it's an easy comparison. Yeah, Pete DeBoer, um, Paul Maurice, I believe, obviously John Cooper. Oh, of course. How could I forget John? Yeah. Yeah, and he practiced. I'm not sure the other guys practiced, but John Cooper practiced for, I think, one or two years. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you, you look at that. I mean, listen, I think first and foremost, you know, it's a super education, uh, a legal degree, just in terms of, you know, your personal development and the way you think and, you know, analytical skills and attention to detail and, and all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I certainly think it translate, you know, to hockey um, in terms of preparation and even just people skills, you, you kind of got to, you know, in today's athlete, you got to analyze and you're almost 25% psychologist um, trying to deal with 20 different personalities. So I, I think, especially in my line of work, you know, litigation, you're always dealing with different people. So I think the legal degree and the legal practice has certainly been a, uh, you know, it's, it's made me a better person and definitely a better coach. Outside of hockey, uh, I understand there's a connection to, of all things, the Canadian Football League. Where did that develop for you and why the Ottawa Red Blacks? Come on now. <laughs> so, <laughs> it wasn't always auto. So my good friends that I played, he played, he played hockey too. Like we would have played Guelph, uh, Guelph AAA together for a couple of years and then just became really good friends from high school. So his name is Sean Burke. Um, he was the assistant general manager in Hamilton for years. Uh, just took the Ottawa Red Blacks job last year. So he's down there now. Um, so yeah, we're like, he's, you know, best buddy, grew up high school, all that. So um, I obviously follow what he's doing um, um, with the football teams and, you know, it's good. You, you get a, you get to look at how they operate and it's obviously a lot different than hockey, but you can certainly pick up, things from their training camp or things from how they, how they do business and how they deal with their athletes and stuff. So it's, it's been good to follow his career career as you, well. You know, it's funny. I, I've always ragged on the CFL just because, I mean, I'm a paid talking head. So if I can get ragging on something, I will. Uh, but we were in Ottawa earlier this year and the Red Blacks were out practicing before, um, before a playoff game. So I was out because it's all in the same complex up there in Ottawa. So I'm watching them practice a little bit. And there is something to be said about pro athletes, high caliber athletes, and what you can learn no matter what the sport, right? To take back to the sport that you're working in. Yeah, exactly. I, I agree completely. Like it's obviously the, the fine details aren't the same, but sure. definitely things you can, there's some parallels and things you can learn. You know, you, you hear all the time. I think Sheldon Keefe attended like the Seattle Seahawks training camp. You know, there's been crossover things where people just go there to just, you know, get more information, right? When you watch a hockey game, do you watch it for how it's being coached, how it's being played? Like, can you separate yourself from analyzing the game as a coach? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think you're always looking at it like how how it's being being coached. You know, what are they? What are their systems? You know, why they do that? But you can turn it off too and just enjoy the game, um, and, and appreciate the game. I, I, on my birthday, I took my dad his favorite um, favorite team's Boston, so we went to see Boston in Toronto on February first. Um, so that one is more you just kind of enjoy it with your dad, and um, but you pick things up live too, right? Like I. 
you know, I'm so busy with my team and with, with law, it's, you don't look as closely. I, I had no idea Boston's decor was that good. It was, it was impressive. No, I had no idea. Uh, what's the, was it Lindholm? No idea it was that big. Like I, I thought he was, I always thought he was like smaller size offensive guy, but he's a big guy and wow, he's a good player. So, um, but yeah, you, you, you pick up things, you, you, you try to learn and, but you can enjoy it too. How much of an impact did your father have on developing you as a hockey player, getting you interested in the game? Yeah, it was right from the start. He, you know, I kind of come from a working class family. Um, so all the, all the money went to hockey, really. We were all involved, two brothers and a sister, we all played. So they, uh, they sacrificed a lot and, you know, he was, he was a coach of mine early on and then obviously driving all around Ontario to see me play. So yeah, I owe a lot to my parents to get me get me involved in the game and 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 get me out on the ice early. So it made a big difference. You know that gets me thinking too about you know we talk about making good use of an education package. In your case, obviously, all those players off that O uh, two birth year reps team that was the twenty eighteen team I think it was uh, that went to the O in that uh, twenty eighteen priority selection. But Owen Powers on that team went the the U S route. How do you see the the level of competition these days between the Canadian Hockey League and NCAA. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I'm not in it as much as some others, but uh, it seems to me the competition is um, it's pretty fierce. And the, the new transfer rule in the NCAA, you know, I think that's gonna that's gonna make the competition even more. My argument to some kids were like, you you got to be careful where you go because if the coach doesn't like you down there you get a long four years. Right. But now with the transfer window um, gives you a chance to get out if it's just not a bad, if it's a bad situation. Uh, but that being said, it's, it's super competitive in the NCAA. Like, you know, in Georgetown, we're trying to promote guys to get there and, you know, they're taking more and more Americans than they ever did before. Like years ago, way more Canadians would have opportunities. So those, those opportunities aren't as far. So, I think that's going for the OHL, but it's, it's, it's an interesting decision for kids, right? It's, uh, I mean, I, I went to the OHL and I had a great experience and was able to use my school package. Um, so I think there's super, super pluses to, to taking that route, but for some other guys, um, you know, the school route might be the, the best bet as well, but uh, certainly hard decision for kids at that age to make and try to n- navigate the hockey landscape the best they can. But, um, certainly interesting. Yeah, I love the way you put that, navigating the hockey landscape as best they can, because you've got another great part to your story, in my opinion, as a guy who didn't play in the National Hockey League, but really enjoyed some time in Europe. There are so many possibilities for these kids, and we're seeing them at basically the same age with me covering the O and you there in Georgetown with the Raiders. Do you ever kind of coach kids or offer advice in that direction saying, Hey, listen, you know, if the NHL is not going to work out, there are are options X, Y, and Z for you out there too. Yeah, certainly. Like, you know, there's, especially for guys in the OHL that don't, you know, I know their dreams to get drafted and go to the NHL, but you can go down East or even at the Ontario leagues is much better now than it was, let's say five, seven years ago, go play college, some guys can even with their school package, you can go get your, you know, you take courses while you're in the league. So don't like, don't be lazy while you're in the O take courses. 
you know, you can get maybe one or two semester. Then once you're done, you almost got a year. So then you go, I tell this story all the time. Then you like, this is a perfect scenario. Then you go, you get your undergrad done in three. Maybe you want to transfer to McGill and go to law school. You can do that. You, now you're done. Your, you've, you've used your package. You got a professional degree. And now I, maybe I want to go to the coast or I want to go to Europe. So there's just, if, if you play it right and, and you, and you put the work in and you're, you're smart, you, you know, you can use that school package to your advantage really. And then, you know, the hockey in Europe is, is a bonus for you. As a guy who was drafted by the Sioux, also played in Owen Sound and Sudbury, do you have an allegiance to any one of those teams in the O that you would claim today as your favorite? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was in Owen Sound for the most. Like Sudbury was just a cup of coffee there at the end. So I, and I had my, you know, my best year there as we, we talked about off the top. Um, so I would probably say, say Owen Sound, um, if I had to, um, but, uh, yeah, I enjoyed the other, the other cities as well, but it probably leaned towards Owen Sound. Before I let you go, is there an honest to goodness T-Bird story you could tell me that he really wouldn't want me to know? <laughs> <laughs> Off the top of my head. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. He put me on the spot. Um, I don't know. Wild. I'll, I'll tell you a wild story before we met. We were in a game, and this is old school. This is old school OHL. When I was in the Sioux, he was in Plymouth. We were in a game in Plymouth, and this is the first time I, like, kind of knew who he was. And this is not individual to him, but we got into a brawl, not a brawl, in warm-up. It ended up being a slap shot brawl. Someone fired a slap shot. At our end, we fired us like it was like it was craziness. And I remember T Bird because he had a decently heavy shot. He was right in there. Like their whole decor, they had like massive guys just taking slap shots at us. We were doing the same thing. I remember one of our Euros was like down at the end, like hiding behind the net. Um, it was craziness. So that was probably the craziest, like kind of old school story of the, from the OHL. And that's when I first was like, oh, that's Troy Smith. And then we used to, we used to joke about it once, once I got to school, but um, no, in terms of him personally, I mean, we've had lots of great times at St. of X, you know, we still talk, um, you know, I'll, he'll mentor me in coaching as well. Like, you know, I've you know, sent him texts. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? So um, yeah, good guy. And uh, we, you know, he was, I think he was an assistant captain with us at St. of X. So part of our, our great leadership group and uh, yeah, definitely fond memories uh, with him and, and winning. You talk about his heavy shot. He told me about your snapshot. He said that was your specialty with the release. Yeah, it may have been, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how good it was, but yeah, I think I could sneak up on some goalies a little bit, not really no slap shots, but uh, you know, sneak, sneak up and get it under the bar quick um, was kind of my forte at times. So. What's it like going from the O where a guy like Troy is a rival to, you know, the CIS route where he becomes a teammate? Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you grow a bond pretty quickly, right? It's um, yeah. You, you're playing these guys and you kind of know them and then you show up on campus and um, they take you in. Right. Cause it's, it's a little different. It's you're in school, so you need lots of support and they've had the professors before. So 
it's a it, we were pretty tight tight knit group down there at Santa Vax. It was a town of like thirty five hundred, and then when the school's in, I think it gets to eight. So we spent a lot a lot of time with our teammates there, and it was it was a lot of fun. There's something about winning a championship that bonds guys basically forever, right? Oh, hundred percent. I think it's coming up on twenty years. I mean, that's it's gross to say that, but <laughs> I think it's like I don't even like it's ridiculous. But twenty years next March, so um, I think that like T Bird's T Bird's trying to organize something now, so he's kind of taking the lead on that. So hopefully, we're able to see the guys uh, next year at some point. Where's your ring? uh it's here i have the x-ring you mean the x-ring or the championship yeah, ring? the x-ring sorry I should yeah, the, X-rings, yeah. the x-rings here i don't wear it as much anymore i should wear it more but I, certainly uh certainly um something valuable and and, and you, you're happy to have it i think it's like the third most most recognizable ring in the world they say so yeah it's something to be really proud of for sure right yeah that x-ring it's uh it's it's, it's very cool i feel like I've become a better analyst of the game having talked to you today. Just listening to the way that you see it and how you coach it, this has been like a little clinic for me. So I appreciate you making the time to do this. Thank you. Oh, not a problem. It's uh, I'm glad you reached out and uh anytime it's it's fun to talk hockey and uh kind of reminisce a bit and yeah, it's uh I'm sure you know we keep talking you, you you can fill me in on what's going on in the OHL and you know I'd be better for it too. So I uh I appreciate the time and it's it's been fun. It's a deal for sure and we'll just watch for the next guy with a legal background to end up in the National Hockey League someday. We'll say, "Hey, we remember that guy when he was on the OHL podcast." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you never know, right? You never know. You just take it one day at a time. So The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.